This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. It's the best of your sports talk. It's Around the Dial. It's Tuesday, January the 22nd. I'm your host, D.A. We have our setup. We have our matchup for the Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Rams are going, representing the NFC, after much controversy surrounding the way that game ended. And in the AFC, of course, the New England Patriots heading to their ninth Super Bowl under Belichick and Brady. And so, sure, maybe it's become a little mundane in Boston. Perhaps it's been a little run-of-the-mill to just get to Super Bowls, averaging one every other year for nearly 20 years. But don't tell that to Bill Belichick because Bill is thrilled. You can just hear it in his voice. The head coach of the Patriots joining OMF on WEEI in Boston, Glenn Ordway, Lou Merloni, and Christian Foria. Let's listen in. Was it emotional because during the course of the season, it's been difficult to get to where you are right now, and now you really know you are a good football team? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it was a great win, and... It was a great team win. We put a lot into the game. Uh, we left everything out there on the field. Uh, everybody left every last ounce of energy and uh, fight and competitiveness that they had, put it out there against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs did the same thing. So, you know, we were fortunate to, to come out on top. Um, and it was a great feeling of satisfaction. We beat a good football team. Um, and we were all ecstatic about it. So, and everybody played a role in it. And certainly Tom played a big role. And, you know, we've had a long. And, and very productive relationship and felt good about it after a win like that. I, but mean, you know I don't know how you could not. Well, you I think know, he's jealous, Coach. But, but you know it's been described. <laughs> it's been described by some people that there that have been issues. That don't be- know. That right. have never. Some of these people, I don't know who they I've never met them, never talked to them. So, I mean, I'm not going to get a bunch of, you know, gossip. Yeah, but there have been a lot of stuff written. You remember the piece last year that you and Brady are having all this problem? I never talked to the guy. Right. Like, yeah. So. so how do you get to this point if you're having all of those issues with your quarterback and then you're telling each other how much you love each other and look like you're ready to go to a hotel room? I mean, it's just <laughs> I'm sorry to describe it that look, way. I, but uh, I, I mean, I said that to a lot of guys last night. I mean, I love this team. I love our players. I love the way they played. I, I love the way they played and competed last night. It wasn't perfect, um, but... But they gave everything they had. That's all you can ask for as a coach. And I would say, the coaching staff, uh, me included, we we gave all we had. You know, and we made mistakes, and there are things we could have done better too. But you know, we all put it all out there, and thankfully, we were able to to win in overtime. And that's look, it's the National Football League. It's Championship Weekend, and that's the way you got to expect these games to go. They're they're not going to be easy. They're going to be tough, and fortunately, we won it. Let me ask you one more, Bill. Uh, today, 25th anniversary of Robert Kraft putting down $170 million. I think he's done pretty well uh, at this end of it. 
uh, to buy this franchise. And this franchise has been the best, in certainly in the National Football League during that stretch. It's maybe been the best in all of professional sports. He really wanted to hire you, I think, before he hired Pete Carroll. Is that correct? I mean, I've heard him say that before, and maybe you were too close to Bill Parcells, but certainly he got it right the second time around. Do you remember those days, the first time around? Yeah, but I think I, you know, I would let him speak for his feelings. I, I don't think, um, I don't think that's my place to do that. Um, but that was a great year for me, coming here in '96, and and um, you know we had a good year, and and uh, I certainly. Uh, experienced things from a little different perspective after being the head coach of Cleveland for five years to, um, you know, work with the secondary, work with the defense, with Al and, and Bill, and just being another organization um, that was run, you know, differently than obviously the Cleveland organization was. And I developed a, a great relationship with Robert and his family. And and, um, and so then when I was able to come back here, um, you know, three years later in 2000 season, Things have changed quite a bit uh, as far as the team went, but um, our relationship and I think the bond that we constructed in in '96 really uh, paid off and grew and has continued to grow. So, uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to to be the head coach here and and uh, try to give my best every day and hopefully we can win one more game this year. That's our goal. Is there anything better than Belichick saying in a totally monotone voice, we are all ecstatic? And we are all ecstatic about it. Yeah, boy, you, you sound it, Bill. I mean, you sound thrilled, excited, ecstatic. You sound like you're ready to just kind of run around the room with a lampshade on your head. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is, I think, part of the reason the Patriots are very hard to embrace outside of Boston is because they don't feel joyous, at least not from Bill Belichick. I mean, that part feels very rote and routine and businesslike and that I'm sure helps them even out to try to win every single year without getting too high or too low. But for the rest of us that watch sports for the joy of it, watch sports because winning is supposed to bring happiness, it is hard to really embrace the Patriots because not only does it happen so often for them when the rest of sports cities across America are just looking for a little taste, just a little nibble, just a little crumb of success, the Patriots march to a Super Bowl every single year, and in doing so, the head coach can't even really admit that he's all that happy in doing so. There's a joyless march that seems to come out of Bill Belichick when we hear him discuss these quote-unquote special moments. I'm not going to get into a bunch of, you know, gossip. So that fatigue that has set in across America about New England going to yet another Super Bowl has hit just about everybody. And the shrapnel knows no bounds. I mean, in fact, my producer, Sean Morash, a.k.a. Moraz, was even upset that Tom Brady, after the game, speaking to Evan Washburn, sideline reporter for the NFL on CBS, needed to take time out to thank Giselle, his wife, and his kids for watching on TV from back in New England. Mraz furious that Giselle and company did not feel it was historic enough to travel for the game. In other words, is this just so routine for the Patriots? They're not even traveling to AFC title games anymore? Mraz spouted off about this on my show on Monday on CBS Sports Radio. And then in Houston on Tuesday on Sports Radio 610 on In the Loop, they played this audio, and Hall of Fame columnist John McClain of the Houston Chronicle was not happy. I tell you, 
Do players take it for granted when they win too much? Sean Marash, who we've had on the show, he's on the Damon Amendolara show on mm-hmm. uh, on Intercom Radio. He thinks that the fact that Tom Brady's wife, Giselle, decided to stay at home and watch the game instead of traveling to Kansas City to see her husband go to yet another Super Bowl is a sign that not only the fans and the media in New England are a little over the top, but even the supermodel wife of Tom Brady has taken this for granted. If this was at Gillette, perhaps perhaps Giselle could have made the ride. Yeah, great, convenient. Her and Bon Jovi will have some stolios at halftime. But you can't get to Kansas City? It's not like they were playing a game on the moon. The family decided, eh, Tom, we've seen that enough. We don't have to do that. Miami, maybe Giselle would have went. Yeah, she can't go to Kansas City. No. Anymore. Too cold. No. What? To do what? To watch her go to a measly Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, Who maybe, needs that? maybe she'll be in Atlanta. This is embarrassing. True story. 2011, I vomited between fourth quarter and overtime of Giants 49ers. Literally went into the bathroom and handled my business. I was so nervous. And I had just seen the team go to the Super Bowl four years earlier. This girl can't get her ass on an airplane on a private jet and go to Kansas City to watch her husband go to the Super Bowl? And now he has to waste the rest of the audience's time nationally to tell Evan Washburn? Dad, you see, I'm sorry. Hold on first. Forget your question. I got to tell Giselle. I'm thinking of you, honey. She could care less about going. It stinks. This whole thing stinks today. And that was the icing on the cake at 945 or whatever the heck time that was. You know, that was time to shut off the TV and go to bed and understand, you know, the rich get richer here. The poor get poorer. Get lost, Brady family. You guys suck. Who are those clowns? Damon Amendolara and Sean Marash. Damon was on there? Yeah, Damon was. Well, he wasn't really talking. He wasn't talking as much as... Damon was laughing. Damon's got a lot of class. The other guy's class is third. (laughs) And uh, get your grammar right if you're going to be on the radio. And uh, first of all, she could have been ill. Family could have been ill. And could have been. So, well, Tom, you know, you got a losing record on the road. Oh, God. Championships game in 04, so I don't want to go to watch you lose. I'm going to stay home. So they don't have a clue about why Giselle didn't go to the playoffs. She's got to go to the game, though, John. Maybe she's got a reason that we don't know about. Because she's so used to it. This is the other thing. What if she was ill? What if one of the children was ill? Then they would feel sick. So this is interesting. If this is about an illness in the family or some type of real travel problem for Giselle or anybody else, totally understandable for her not to make it. But if this is just about worrying that the Patriots oftentimes lose on the road to the playoffs, if this is just about we know that you haven't played well away from Gillette, so we don't want to be around for a loss, I mean, look, players' families come out whether it's win or lose, right? So then it's about we're there so often, I'm only going to be there when you win the AFC title game? I guess good to be king, good problems to have. They call those first-world problems. Especially in the NFL, the Patriots have all of the first world problems. The other guy's class is third. Arise is going to get me killed. This girl can't get her ass on an airplane on a private jet and go to Kansas City to watch her husband go to Super Bowl. 48 hours later, we're still talking about the pass interference that was not a pass interference at the end of the NFC Championship game. The no call heard around the world. Dean Blandino, former head of officiating and now an analyst that grades out officials on a weekly basis, joined the Ben and Skin Show on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, and even Blandino admitted that should be a reviewable call. Let's listen in. Why in the past has the Rules Committee, the Competition Committee, the everybody, has? why have they decided not to make pass interference something that you can challenge? 
You know, it's it's easy to sit here and look at that play yesterday and say, yeah, it should be reviewable, and that would be an easy fix on that play. But for every play like that that's obvious, it would open it up to some some calls that are not as obvious. And I think the committee has always been hesitant to open up replay to those purely subjective calls where you're just taking one person's judgment, the official on the field, and replacing it with another person, the video official or replay whatever you want to call them. And, you know, would we be slowing down the game? Would we be, would we be just, you know, opening up more layers of judgment and more mistakes? But this is a really, really compelling argument, though, the play that happened yesterday. And this could be the, the final push to, for the committee to ultimately decide, hey, we can't have that happen in a game of that magnitude. And we really need to open it up to these, to these subjective calls like pass interference. Well, let's uh, just put the onus on you, Dean. How would you view this scenario if you were in charge? What would you want to happen? You mean going forward or yes. what would I want to have happened yesterday? I mean, to me, it's like, you know, whatever happens already happened. How do we yeah. go forward? How do we address this in a sensible way that doesn't have everybody freak out? Yeah, I think we have to look at it and we say, okay, no one wants no one wants the result that we had yesterday. How do we prevent that from happening? And, and how do we mitigate the unintended consequences? How can we do it in a limited fashion? How can we, how can we ensure that we're going to have an opportunity to fix a mistake like that, but we're not going to negatively impact the game in other areas? And I think there are ways to do that. You could keep it to just a coach's challenge, and, and those are limited. They're tied to timeouts. I wouldn't want a, a replay official in inside of two minutes, looking at every potential missed call, I think that I think that's problematic. But I do think, in a limited form, focusing on just the critical plays in the game, the opportunity, another opportunity to get it right, is, is not a bad thing. I saw this today from Pro Football Talk. Consider Rule 17, Section 2, Article yeah. 1 in the rule book. The commissioner has the sole authority to investigate and take appropriate disciplinary or corrective measures if any club, non-participant interference, or calamity occurs in an NFL game that the commissioner deems so extraordinarily unfair or outside the accepted tacket, tactics. And blah, blah, blah. Basically, he can say, whoa, 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 this was such an egregious call, bad no call. We're getting both teams back together. There's a minute 49 on the clock, and, you know, the Saints are at the five-yard line. The Rams have one timeout. Good luck, everybody. Is that even a consideration for Goodell? No. I mean, that, that's it's certainly in the book, but remember, it says extraordinary circumstances. It's something that's outside the normal course of the game, and a missed call by an official is not is not part of that, that purview. So It's what we're that, used to. It's what exactly. It's what you're used to now. Now, what would be? Let's say that you know Ben gets you know he gets a sideline pass and he's on the sideline at the Cowboys game, and they're about to you know they're playing the Eagles and they're about to catch a game-winning touchdown. And now Ben jumps out on the field and tackles the receiver and then runs back and hides <laughs> and they miss it on the field. That would be extraordinary <laughs> and that would be the situation. And that's not that unrealistic either. But no. that would be a situation where the commissioner would get involved. If you have a former official who's usually protective of the officials, admitting that the officials blew it and saying that the officials should be able to review that or coaches should be able to challenge that or the league should be able to reverse that, that says it all to me. I mean, when a guy like Blandino is now admitting that you should be able to review and reverse judgment calls 
well, then the genie's out of the bottle. This could be the, the final push for the committee to ultimately decide, hey, we can't have that happen in a game of that magnitude, and we really need to open it up to these subjective calls like pass interference. And let's face it, nobody wants the games to slow down. That's not what anybody thinks is better for the sport. But you just can't have a missed call like that decide a football game. It is so blatant and so obvious, and it happens at such a crucial juncture of the game, you simply cannot have that occur with all the fallout surrounding that game, surrounding the NFL, and question marks about the integrity of the officiating. Let's face it, you simply cannot have that happen in the NFC title game. And so, it should be reviewable. It has to be reviewable. I think we're heading that way if guys like Blandino are in lockstep. In New Orleans, they're not taking this sitting down. In fact, there's a lawsuit levied against the NFL and Roger Goodell. On WWL Radio in New Orleans, Dave Cohen interviewed attorney Frank D'Amico, who has brought a lawsuit and litigation against the NFL. Tell us, uh, what is it that you are doing? This morning, we filed a petition for writ of mandamus to compel Roger Goodell to court to explain why he is not invoking Rule 17 of the rules of the NFL. Now, what is the basis for this suit, and how do you feel about its chances? What can the NFL do about the outcome of the Rams-Saints game is really the big question. You know, bad calls happen sometimes. Bad calls have bigger consequences than others. But still, there's language in the rule book that could, under the right circumstances, allow the commissioner to take extreme action in the face of a grossly unfair result. Let's consider Rule 17, Section 2, Article 1. The commissioner has the sole authority to investigate and take appropriate disciplinary or corrective measures if any club action, non-participant interference, or calamity occurs in an NFL game which the commissioner deems so extraordinarily unfair or outside the accepted tactics encountered in professional football that such action has a major effect on the result of the game. Well, I don't think anybody who watched that game doesn't believe that when defensive back Nickel Willoughby Coleman admitted to wiping out Saints receiver Tommy Lewis because he thought he had been beaten for a touchdown, that it wasn't an intentional interference and probably a blow to the head, which would have required the referees to call interference. Now, if that had been done, well, we know the outcome of this game would have been different. So where it says the commissioner will not apply authority in cases of complaints by clubs concerning judgmental errors or routine errors of omission, you believe that he can still take action if it's not the club that is bringing the complaint? He could take action on his own. It's very telling that the NFL has not even issued a statement about this. I mean, I've never seen or heard of in history sports books returning money for people who bet on a game. Their statement was plain and simple. The Saints may have been cheated, but that doesn't mean their customers, the bettors, need to be cheated too, and they give the money back. That says it all. If Vegas is giving the money back, the world knows that the fix is in. So at this point, you're just trying to compel the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, to come to court to explain why he's not invoking this rule, but nothing... Why he's not, and, and, and getting a court to order him to do so, because obviously the rule is there for a reason. This is exactly the kind of outcome in a game that's game-changing, that's blatant and obvious. The referees chose not to make the call as a deliberate action, not as a, a blunder, 
this was a deliberate action. There were at least three blows to the head in this game that I saw. One of them, Josh Hill was taken out of the game with concussion. They didn't call any of those calls. Those are all supposed to be reviewed by the booth. They didn't review anything. The way they called the NFC Championship game was totally different from the way they called the AFC Championship game. Anybody who watched the games, it was two different sets of rules being employed. So if successful, you believe this lawsuit could lead to the commissioner calling for the game to be completely replayed or replayed from the point of the no call? That's correct. And we would prefer that it be replayed from the point of the no call, put one minute and 49 seconds back on the clock, give the ball to the Saints first and goal at the five-yard line and play from that point. Obviously, you're going to need some quick action here because the Super Bowl is now less than two weeks away. Do you believe that it can happen within that time frame with our legal system? We have a court date set for Monday. Uh, we are filing long-arm service today on Roger Goodell in New York. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And uh, he's going to have to respond to the court by Monday. Look, I think the NFL should issue a statement admitting that the officials got it wrong. But the NFL is scared of that. They want this to just die down. They feel as though if they don't address it, they don't add oxygen to the fire. And maybe they're right. I think it would say a lot about the integrity of the NFL if they just admitted it was a mistake. If they would just come forward and admit that they blew this one and got it wrong. But they don't want to open up that can of worms because they don't want people feeling like the wrong team is in a Super Bowl. We've got two weeks of hype. We're waiting two weeks and building up this big matchup, and they've got everybody flying into Atlanta for Radio Row to do radio shows, which is just one week worth or two weeks worth of straight hype and promotion for their product. So the last thing they want is everybody saying the wrong team is in Atlanta. So they won't issue a statement, but they should. And as for a sports book in Atlantic City, it's true. A sports book in Atlantic City credited back bettors who lost money on that bet, on that line, when it came to the Rams and the Saints, which is pretty remarkable because you never see casinos giving back any type of winnings. But in that moment, they made some national news because they said this was such a ridiculous and broken outcome that we are not even going to accept your money on a losing bet. Pretty remarkable. Elsewhere in the NFL, an explosive piece done by Philly Voice columnist Joe Santaliquido. In his piece, he said that he spoke to more than a half dozen Eagles players and multiple sources within the organization, and that many of them said that Carson Wentz is not a very popular guy right now, that he could bully coaches into calling the plays that he wanted, that he did not want to run the quote-unquote Nick Foles stuff, and that he's not a leader that holds himself accountable. Santa Liquido joined WIP's morning show, Angelo Cataldi, and explained the piece that was very, very unpopular amongst Eagles players that we saw on social media and so many other Eagles fans. What put you on to the story? Why uh, now? Just an innocuous question uh, after a loss and just coming out and just basically asking, uh, you know, <laughs> how long does Mike Rose stay here? And, and I was corrected and said, you know, Joe, it's not grow. It's Wentz. 
Oh. You know, he's changing the plays. Uh, he's getting out of the offense that we run, the offense that we like to run. Um, he says, uh, you know, there's a push to, uh, you know, with falls and the RPOs and what we like doing. And, uh, you know, it's created some friction. I mean, guys want to see the ball. They don't, they don't, you know. So that, that's where, that's where, I mean, it just, and it was one thing after another, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little sure. bit here, a little bit there. All right, well, that's fascinating because I thought that was the best part of the story, the Thank fact you. that the offense was run differently with, with Carson, and it was run differently because he was pushing back, that he wasn't accepting what the offense was, but Foles was, mm-hmm. right? And, and that was an issue. There was friction when Carson was playing because of that. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, okay. and and the thing is, uh, the further feedback was that this was run differently when Reich and DiFilippo were here because they would they would convince took some convincing, but they would convince Carson Wentz to run the play, run the play, Carson. The completion is there. I'm telling you, the completion's there. Run the play, and that was a little by you know by play here and there, going back and forth with each other with things like that. But eventually, though, uh, from all understanding and and from the things I was told that you know Carson gave in, and when he gave in. Things were fine. Even, I'll tell you what, a couple of interesting points this past season. You can see in the transcripts. Doug Peterson addressed this a few times. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things in here that aren't, and I stated in the story, that aren't revelations. They're not. They're not. They've well, been they, there. Well, I don't want you to place them in the context that you did. Okay. Okay. Right? And that's fair. So and that's you're fair. saying that but, there were suggestions Doug, by Peterson that Wentz wasn't running the offense he wanted him well, to. Well, well, Doug basically said, yeah. and it's in the transcripts again, okay. that you know when, when Carson trusts the offense... Boom. Things work. Right. Okay. So so that part of it. So why didn't he? I mean, he's been here three years now. Is this part of the concept that his ego got big and he thinks he knows more than the guys that are coaching him? That I can't speak to because I'm not in the head of Carson Wentz. Okay. But uh, from sources around him, sometimes they were just like, you know, they think it's Carson's show. Hence the selfishness. Okay. Hence, you know, the terms of, uh, you know, the tunnel vision. And consequently, though, uh, and again, what I think everybody agrees with, and I think you guys would agree with it, too, it, it bothered people, a number of people, that he came into the season not completely healthy, that he should have taken a little bit more time to come back closer to 100%. He was not 100% healthy. I mean, none of us here are doctors, but you guys saw what I saw this past season. Did you not? Well, that you're, he was you're not, saying uh, he was selfish. Well, in the sense that you know, it, it's, it's about me, and it's so much about me that I got to get back. He was so hell-bent on getting back and the making his mark that, guess what? You not being completely who you are hurts not only yourself, which it did, and he, he admitted this on Monday. He said the possibility that my knee led to my back, he didn't rule that out. Also, mm-hmm. a, on a, 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 a less than 100% Carson Wentz wants to produce a less than 100% offense and a less 100% Philadelphia Eagles. Right. The best Carson Wentz makes for the best Eagles. Look, I think the truth is probably somewhere in between as it normally is. My guess is Carson Wentz is the toast of the town last year. He's the NFL MVP presumed going into December. Everything is coming up roses for him. The world is his oyster. He is looking to lead the Eagles to their first championship ever in the Super Bowl era. And then, boom, poof, it's gone. He rips his ACL and he watches Nick Foles ride the magic carpet ride 
to a championship. But that's got to make him insecure about his role, considering everybody loves Nick Foles inside that locker room, and Foles became the civic hero that Wentz probably envisioned himself being. And so you come into this year, and is he a little bit quick to dismiss plays that he doesn't feel comfortable with? Probably. Is he wanting to distance himself from Nick Foles and establish his own legacy? Probably. He's also coming off an ACL tear, so he's physically not all the way there. That's got to hurt him as well. And they end up kind of being up and down. And you could imagine that the guys saw Nick Foles come in late in the season, execute the offense, not rely on one or two receivers, not become any type of diva or prima donna about what the play call is or how to run the offense and just executing. And the guys probably once again fell in love with Nick Foles. And that probably led to Wentz feeling insecure and perhaps acting weirdly in some of these situations. I think this. I think the report feels very valid and very feasible, but that it's not an ultimate black mark on Carson Wentz's career that they've got a lot of good reasons to believe Wentz is going to be fine, be a leader, and be the right guy to bet on moving forward. Finally, we'll ask the age-old question, to tank or not to tank? If you're a middle-of-the-road team, it's never fun to watch your team lose, but is it a necessary evil? The guys at 97 won the ticket in Detroit, debated this. What's better, to win or to lose? It's like one side of my brain knows it's no good to win. I still, I can't sit there in a close game and hope that Matt Prater misses a field goal. I, I can't do that. I don't, if he makes it, I don't go, yeah, we won, we won. But I just, it's part of my fabric I don't think I can ever get rid of. It's all about what is best for the organization. But I know what's best. I, to me, I But I can't I can... root for the, in the moment. That's my sole focus. And, and I even feel that way with the Wings right now. As entertaining as they've been, as hard as these young guys are, are working and playing, I still, you know, give me something to watch for two and a half periods and then, okay, you know, allow a goal there at the end and lose and don't get points. They've been getting way too many overtime points. It's amazing that they've been able to do that. But it, it's easy for me because you know what is best. Right. It's, it's not for the Pistons. It's not somehow getting the eight seed in the no, playoffs. That's, that's a good. waste of time. No. You're going to get swept by the Bucks, swept by the Raptors, whomever it may even be. Even if you want a game, big deal. Good for you. Right. It doesn't matter. I, yeah, I, that's I, I totally progress. agree. So I want to know two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Do you have a hard time with the best for lose mentality when you're actually watching the game, even though you know that if you weren't watching the game and you found out that they lost, you'd sit there and say cool but when the actual game is being played it's like why are you even watching then if you're hoping your team is going well, to we lose, have to watch i mean oh, no, we're different i'm yeah. talking to the uh, yeah you know, not us sorry but if you're watching how do you why do we even bother to watch if you can't like hope your team wins or at least want your team to win why are you even watching the event i mean i can't i, can't, I couldn't watch the wings play the Vegas Golden Knights, which we're giving away tickets to later, and sitting there, even though I know it's good for the Wings to lose, when the game is taking place, you know, stand up and and cheer when, uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury robs Dylan Larkin on a penalty shot. I can't do that. Even though I know it's, you know, if you would have scored that goal, our draft position might be affected. Well, I'll say this. You're a better better man than me. 
Um, better human being. Clearly. No, there's nothing to do with that. No, I, I do think that that's part of it. I, I'm just, I'm very cold. Um, I, I don't have very much emotion right now because there's nothing to be invested it's been in at this it's point. Been yeah, like, we're, we're we're dead right now. We have nothing here, you know, in Detroit. So I, I think it's very easy. I, I also think you get frustrated, like uh, that Lions, that last game in Green Bay when the Packers were clearly they were right. clearly trying to lose the game, and the Lions are out there fake field goal Prater, you know, at the pass to the corner of the end zone. It's like. It, it's just it's so typical and it's so classic Lions when in reality, maybe you could have gotten a few spots higher. Maybe the Pistons can get a few spots higher. And if they do, they'll have a shot to potentially stumble into a top three pick, you know, in the NBA draft. Those are things that bring value. Like if you're a Pistons fan, the only way you can be better heading into next year is by adding a, a nice top 10 pick. That's it, right? Or you get lucky, you like, money. or you get lucky, like, because Giannis was a pick late in the draft. Absolutely, or you get 15th, lucky, yes. right? Look, I think it's hard, but I think you've just got to set aside those personal feelings, and you've just got to accept that if you're middle of the road, losses ultimately help. It's about bigger picture stuff, and I know when you're sitting on the couch on a Tuesday night, you don't want to watch your team lose. You'd rather see them win because it gives you a little extra jolt of happiness for the night. But it's small picture. It's small potatoes. You got to go big picture. You need the losing. You need the tanking. You need the draft picks. It's the only way. And the only way is to listen to Around the Dial every single day. The best of your sports talk. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.